John Panos, John McGrath, Troy Malcolm, in the house, no Zoom. This is reality, social distancing, or just about it. If I pulled out a measure, would be right. Johnny, Troy, how you going? The footy finals are over. We've had a great session here with Con Stathopoulos, who's got the McGrath, Parramatta, Blacktown. We had a room full of agents here. Um, Troy, um, can I ask you, firstly, let's talk about sport. Okay. Grand final, John. Um, we we never went back and, and looked at that tipping we had a few weeks ago. Remember you said the tipping results? Yes, yes. Now, I'm, I'm pretty sure the man here on our left might have actually crashed and burned. Is that fair? That's possible. Yes, well, uh, John, I will actually make it my business to go listen to the last... I mean, I'll go listen to the podcast myself. I think, right? I think to be fair, I think... Let's rewind. Remember in the old days, I used rugby, to rewind. Rugby league, I was wrong. Um, but I did think I said that Melbourne would be very hard to beat. Uh, if they got through to the final, I think I was yeah. right with the AFL. I think Melbourne Richmond, in the rugby league, right? Melbourne Storm, sorry, in the rugby league, but uh, Richmond by far one of the the, the greatest Shining. teams um, for so many reasons. I think we're going to talk about a few of those reasons today as well. So you look at skill stacking, you look at different team members within each one of those offices uh, in, in in their team culture, and they all provide a really amazing set of skills, but they're all individual and unique. Yeah, there were, there were three things that I just went through, Troy. Is I think you, you just derived, but Tommy and I, when we were doing the session a bit earlier, that were relevant, I thought, to the NRL and relevant to the industry. Um, first one was skill stacking, and I remember Gus Gould last, and sorry for the Victorians or those that are passionate AFL fans, but these are actually relevant to the NRL. The first one, Gus Gould said, Cameron Smith, one of the legends of the game, he's never going to have a highlight reel, because to be quite honest, there's nothing that'll fit five minutes of highlights, because the guy is an extraordinary legend, but he's not... He's not what you'd call a superstar in any one area, but he was extraordinarily competent for a long period of time in the areas that matter. He was a great defender, he had a great kicking game, he had a great goal kicking game, um, he had a great passing game, he was a good strategist. And, you know, we've talked before on podcasts, Troy, about skill stacking. You don't have to be the best on the planet at anything, but if you're very good at a few things that matter, you'll become the Cam Smith of real estate. So I thought that was good. Second thing um, that I looked at was coaches. And, and I looked at, I think we might have mentioned it before, but half a dozen of the top, you know, let's say the top six coaches, you know, you've got Ricky Stewart, you've got um, Bellamy, you've got Trent Robinson, you've got Wayne Bennett. Yep. So people who are the best, and they all had a certain style about them. And that was, that style, Tommy, was kind of serious. And I think, I'd call it gravitas in real estate. I think you've got to have that ability to, to speak with certainty, stillness, confidence, and capture the attention, and everyone understands this is no bullshit. So I think the gravitas was good. And the third thing I just mentioned, and, and Trent Barrett, who I've met and is a terrific guy and I think a great coach, but I just mentioned to the team, Tommy, this morning that I heard him interviewed about midday on the grand final. I said to a mate of mine, they're not going to win. He said, what do you, why not? I said, I just heard Trent being interviewed and there was a level of uncertainty, nervousness, and lacking belief. I could, I could hear it in his tone, and he's obviously Troy's the uh, assistant. It was assistant, assistant for, Pen yeah. yep. for Penrith before he's now going to carry ranks down. So, in a listing, you know, let's bring it back to real estate. You know, you have to have that confidence that people pick it up in your tonality and the words you use. I just thought it's really important. So, I know it's all about NRL and sport, but I do think those kind of three. 
case studies were but, relevant. But John, let's let's talk about skill stacking quickly. Real estate. Mm. You, you made Cam Smith. Let's turn around in real estate. What are some of the, the skills that you don't have to be best in the world at, mm. but they're critical skills? And if you're if you're like eight out of ten at them, you'll end up probably having a good life when they work in combination. Yeah. So we talk a lot, Tommy, about prospect list sell. So prospecting, if we unpack that, that means you have to pick up the phone in a dialogue or a tonality um, with with a clear mind to be able to connect with enough clients to to let them know what's happening in the market and the number of people we, we spoke before to some lead generators they reckon 10 percent of the people they're speaking to are actually inviting them in for an appraisal so you make 20 calls a day that's two appraisals you're generating a day pretty significant um, so i think you know prospecting you have to have a solid prospecting game you don't have to be the best on the planet but you have to have a solid prospecting game and i love what you said tom this morning to our team which was around uh, marketing is in combination, not isolation. And I thought about that, Troy, the other day. So many times I watch an ad on television and I hate ads, as, as everyone does. I don't even know what it's about for the first eight times. I Then I start thinking, what is that product? Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I'll pick up the phone and Google it. So sometimes you've got to hear and see something, a letterbox drop, a social media, an on-site auction, an open for inspection. If you're seeing those things and there's a consistent message in each of those that talks to quality and integrity, you're going to be on the shopping list. Um, listing, of course, you know, again, you've, you've got to be an 8 out of 10 lister. You don't have to be the best in the world. But when you're in the lounge room, you have to have an agenda, you have to have a process, you have to have a tonality, you have to be great at asking questions, you've got to be a great listener, you have to be, have a great elevator pitch, you know, here's what we're going to do when you list with us. And then, of course, selling, marketing, negotiating. So, you know, for Cam, it's, it's, it's offence, defence, strategy, uh, fitness, uh, those things, and for us it's prospect list sell. Now, John, Ivan Bresic, um, who mm. was one of the uh, founders and partners of uh, Bresic Whitney, the great uh, business in inner Sydney, mm. um, you had a conversation with him the other day, and during your great presentation that you did this morning, an outstanding presentation that went for an hour and 15. By the way, everyone, I spoke before John, and my presentation was uh, written out on a piece of paper, which I spent 20 minutes looking for, and eventually was in my coffee cup, smudged up. I'm he pretty thinks I was trying to sabotage. He tried to, he tried to sabotage my. You know talk, what I like, Troy? Know. I love tidying things up. So Tom's still getting ready, psyching himself up, and I saw this scrappy little paper, and there was this half-finished coffee cup. So I just grabbed the bit of paper and I scrunched it up and I put it in the coffee cup. Then Tom walks across and he's looking around. And I see him actually go to the coffee cup and pull this, you know, coffee-soaked notes out. We've said, all been there, Tommy. We've all said, been there. He said, no, we're all on notes for today. It was, it, it was a classic. It, it, reminded me, well. it reminded me of the first minute Tigers versus uh, Bulldogs in the grand final when um, Terry Lamb um, knocked out Ellery Hanley in the first 30 <laughs> seconds. He's just got him, so, you know, changed the whole plan. But you did say in your presentation, John, that a quick conversation with Ivan Breshik, you asked him, mm. what are the three qualities that separate the best? And yeah. he thoughtfully answered. He didn't, he didn't instinctively answer. He thought it through. Yeah. What were the things he said? So the, specifically the question was, you know, Ivan, you know and I know a lot of the best agents in the country. What's your observation is what's separating them from the rest right now? And you're right. He, he, he it was not, not prepared, not rehearsed. And he, and he paused. He said, wow, that's a good question. And he thought, and, and a few seconds later, he said, yeah, okay, here's what I think. Number one, he said, buyer servicing. They are working closer and deeper with more buyers than anyone else in their market, and they have cornered the market on buyers. So a lot of agents are focused on listings, 
and he said the best people they have cornered the market on buyers and I thought that was that was interesting and uh, then I was talking to we'll talk about Michael Dowling in a minute and his team second thing was speed at which they're working so he said some people are taking days others weeks he said the top teams are doing it in hours and one of the things he referred to as getting buyers, so combining the first two attributes, getting buyers through more quickly. And Mike Dowling, who, Troy, as you know, has just finished number three yep. in REB Dealmaker. Is it REB? REB Dealmaker. REB Dealmaker. Yeah, announced only yesterday. Yeah, yeah num number three. So outstanding. Well done, Mike and his team. But I was coaching them the other day and I said, what is the average number of buyers you get through in the first 48 to 72 hours? And they looked at each other and the whole team was there, so no one was exaggerating. And they said, we would have 10 to 12 qualified buyers through every listing in the first three days. And I thought, wow, that's as good as I've heard. So 72 hours. Now, this is not from marketing. This is from listing. Yep. So Mike goes and lists them in the lounge room. And he's got two brilliant people work around him. And they absolutely get on the phone just like a boiler room situation. They get 10 to 12 buyers through. So no matter, he's going, no wonder he's going to sell 180 properties you know, in, in the next 12 months. So I think speed at which those top agents are operating and the quality of buyer servicing, I agree with Ivan. The third thing was he said they're doing a lot of off-market sales, Tom. So there's no doubt a lot of agents get excited as they should when they get a listing and it's an auction and it's got a marketing campaign and it's open Saturday week. But the number of buyers when the vendor said, look, Tom, I actually I'm not ready to go to market. I am a seller. Uh, for a few personal reasons, I actually don't want it to be advertised or on any internet. But if you have anyone, a lot of agents at that point, they just turn the dial and they're not interested. He said that the best agents he's working with are selling between 25 and 50% of their volume to properties that weren't, and I'll call it officially listed, of course, you need a contract in New South Wales, um, but they weren't officially listed and that's that makes up from a quarter to a half of their sales. Yeah. So I think, and I agree with those three things. I think about our top 10, Troy, you know, some of the, the great people and, and the number of times they create a listing out of thin air because they have a hot buyer mm. and they think, God, you know, the Panosers, we sold them a property that is exactly like that. I'm going to ring, ring them up and see because then I reckon they might like that waterfront down the road and yep. I'll get someone into theirs. And they're like, it's almost playing in a, in a nice way Monopoly. They're sort of moving people around the board and creating business out of that. So rather than just waiting for a listing to come in, if they've got a red hot buyer, they then go and create the listing with an off-market, if you will. But, you, but, John, you made a very good point, which is often some agents hear, hey, we want to go off-market, and they just drop it. They sort of think, okay, this is a low-probability deal, um, they're not committing to me, and they walk away. When, in fact, often two things happen. You either sell it, or you actually have earned the permission to actually take the next step and move into a phase two campaign. That's, that's right, and sometimes you just need to earn your stripes, to, as you've said, Tom, and give them some evidence and give them some comfort that there is interest, and, and often it starts with a price discussion. So, uh, Well, a lot of the time as well, a lot of the time I would add to that, Tom, to say that if it's an off-market sale, those buyers that are coming through that property, they know that going to open market and having competition may increase the level of the offer. Yeah. So they know that if they see something off market, it ticks the boxes for them or the majority of boxes, they're more likely to pay a slight premium as opposed to if it did go through a full campaign and not get exposed to the True. market. So I think there's a, a really kind yeah. of interesting dynamic there with uh, positioning the sellers to say it's a phased approach, but also positioning the buyers to say, hey, listen, you can secure this property 
right now, you may have to pay a little bit more, but if we went to open market, it may cost you even more in competition. Mm. What would you like to do? Troy, there's something you weren't here, but Tom, Tom, uh, and Tom, I'd love you to share it. I know your gym members would be familiar with this, but those that are listening that aren't gym members, you talked about the annual check, health checkup. For, so basically, you set up an expectation when you sell a property to someone that yeah. there's going to be an ongoing. So do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so the, the concept was that if you build a business based on attraction and of rating fans, it's going to mean that you can let go of the need to have to interrupt strangers all the time. And you can start off talking with the people that you sell houses to. So if you simply sold 20 properties in your first year of real estate, and you said to them, listen, I'm going to stay in contact with you each year because my service begins with you today. I'm, yeah. I'm your agent not for this sale. I'm your agent for the rest of the time that you're in this area. And that I'll pop in in about a year's time. I'll make a time with you. It's going to be 15 minutes. And my job is purely not to try to get you to sell, but to tell you what's happened in your street and in the surrounding streets. So and you're going through the metrics. So Troy, Tom was saying, if you're year one in real estate, you do 20 sales, yep. and then next year you do another 25, and then you do 30. After about three or four years, you've got like 100, 150 appraisals before the year starts. Yeah. Because you've told all these people, I'm going to come and see you on the anniversary. If you don't mind, I just like to keep my clients abreast of what's happening in the market. There's nothing more important uh, and, and beneficial to an agent knowing that at the end of the December run, the 19th of December, that's our last auction weekend before Christmas happens, um, knowing that you've already got 20, 30, 40 appraisals booked in when you come back. Brilliant. You're not chasing, you've yeah. actually got those people and they're lined up and as you always have said, Tom and John, you as well, um, frequency builds trust. Yeah. The more time you're in front of them, the more time you're guiding them what's happening about the market, you become the attraction agent just by osmosis in that regard. Yeah, and talk about that, before we do finish, Tommy, there's another thing that you said that I took a note, which I loved, which was, it's the combination of being an agent, an attraction agent and a chase agent. Mm. Do you want to just expand on that? Yeah, really so, like so sometimes people go to extremes. John and Troy, think about, there are a group of agents that what they'll do is they'll make 300 cold calls every day and then they, you know, they get burnt out because they've got this one trick pony which is cold calling and it's not sustainable. Then you've got another bunch of agents who say, Tom, listen, you know, I work off my brand, I've got lots of marketing. What I notice is people that normally write one million plus are the hybrid. Mm. They've got the chase and hustle of someone mm. who is sniffing out what's important and getting onto it, but at the same time, they're constantly attracting like a magnet the most popular buyers and sellers in the marketplace at any one time. So it's this combination of, yes, you're chasing, but you're normally chasing warm leads. You're not chasing cold leads. And at the same time, you're having that thing called eminence. Eminence, which is you're seen as the superior person in the marketplace because of the marketing that you've got. And I'm, I mean, I'm fascinated a lot. I'm, I'm, there's a that Michael Dowling that you spoke about, and I'm, I, I have an intention to do a full one hour interview. I want to do an autopsy on that guy because he not only has a lot of deals, the turnover, He's also got a high price point. I mean, yeah. this is a difficult combination one to be... One and a half million. One and a half million to be doing nearly 200 sales a year. That's on track to do. I mean, he's got this combination that essentially means that he might be a four $5 million agent yep. out of a suburb that's not Double Bay or Turak. And I said it to him off camera, 
I believe the REB Dealmakers Award is as valuable, if not more valuable, than the REB Top 100 mm. because I know how the algorithm works with REB Top 100, highly focused on high dollar value. Yep. And that's why you see your Michael Clarks and mm -hmm. your Chiminellos that are Alex number Phillips. one and two, Alex Phillips, yep. right? But when you start seeing these REB deal makers doing 150 sales, 170 sales a year, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I reckon there's as much effort selling a $1 million house as there is a $5 mm -hmm. million house. They've got to have the capacity to sort of do that sort of work. No, it's a great, great point. So the, 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 the point there, Troy, that I loved about Tom's was, because you for years, Tommy, have talked about attraction agent, and I, I love that. Because if you want to be a high volume agent, if, if you've got a door knock every day for the rest of your life, it's going to be a hard yard. If people are knocking your door, coming to your office, it's easier. But I think it can be seen in isolation as, okay, all I've got to do is go out and create raving fans, but what you said today was it's it's that hybrid of raving fans and hustle with integrity that's really going to build your business a lot faster. So I thought that was good. So thank you for coming today, Tommy. It was really, our guys loved it as expected. And many of them are gym members. We're delighted that so many of our people are actually members yes. of your gym. Yes. Or have joined your gym. So that's awesome. And um, it was great to see, uh, you know, Con uh, Stathopoulos, who, by the way, has got the same... Uh, surname as my uh, first cousins, our closest relatives there, so I was always going to come here today, John, uh, and, he's, and he's of Greek origin. But the thing about, you know, the, the, thing, the, thing, the, thing, about, the thing about Con is that you could tell that what he's building here, and he said something to me, and I, and I respect him for it. He said to me on the phone when he was giving me the brief, I'm letting you know the guys here and girls are legends. I've just got to get them to even believe more than what they believe in themselves. Yeah. Funnily enough, a few weeks ago, I had a principal that say, I'm letting you know half of the people that you're going to speak to are dead wood. And I said to him, I'm curious, were they dead when you hired them or did you kill them? Because it's either a recruitment problem or a culture well, problem. How, how but he's often, got a lot of he's really, got a belief in his team and yeah. you need that. Right? Well how often do we see the very best leaders? And we spoke about some of the sporting leaders being the coaches, but how often do you see those people become the biggest cheerleaders and champions of their team mm. and they grow? There's something about Melbourne Storm. Everyone that goes there, they grow from leadership, mm -hmm. from their capacity, from the quality of skill they have, there is something in that. Having and those conversations with Con, exactly the same. interesting, Troy, a lot of the people that go there, they have no, they're, they're not famous when they go there. But they're journeymen. Yeah. They've normally been to one or two or three yeah. teams and they've never really made first grade. I mean, Ryan Pappenhausen is the perfect example. Yeah. He was the third string fullback at the Tigers. He couldn't get a start. He goes to Melbourne and he's just won the Clive Churchill medal for being the best player on ground in the grand finals. So like, that's saying, pretty amazing. What you're saying, Troy, which I love, is Cam Smith has an ability to extract from people something which others couldn't extract. Cam Smith and Craig oh, sorry, Bellamy. Craig Bellamy. Yeah, yeah, both, Craig both Bellamy. together. So I think you need a, a natural leader within the yeah, office yeah. being the Cam Smith. Yeah. So a salesperson, a tribal elder that everyone looks to for guidance, you need that person, right? And most of the successful businesses we see, there is that one, two or three people that do that. But you also need the champion or the cheerleader being the mm. coach to really push them and make them believe it's possible. Yeah, and, and I think that's, that's a great... So Bellamy has the ability to extract what was always there. Yep but he gets it out and previous coaches or previous clubs and environments didn't have it. That's a really brilliant. So for principals and sales managers, Tom, I know a lot of people listen to go to your gym are business leaders or even people that have just started their own team. You have to develop the ability, the skill to extract everyone's greatness. And I have a belief, as you guys do, that everyone has greatness within. 
but many of them die with it inside rather than outside, which is what we, we try and do. John, you talk about the Statue of David all the time. Everyone is just a slab of marble until you carve out mm. um, the masterpiece. Mm. And I think, you know, you're exactly right. The question that you go back to, Tom, was the dead wood before you got them or did you kill them? I think that's a really good question as well for many sales leaders and principals to ask themselves. Yeah, are they the cheerleader? Are they the champion of their team? Do they believe their team's ready to go? Because it's a different conversation. It's a really different conversation. Which is why I said, when, and I'm not having our Trent Barrett, I think he's a lovely bloke and he'll be a great success at Canterbury, but when I heard that hesitation, mm. and it wasn't obvious, but I, I guess sort of being from the sales world, I'm always trying to listen b between the lines and between the words. When I heard it, I picked up the phone, I rang my buddy and I said, they're going to get beaten tonight. And I told him that the assistant coach, there is a level of doubt and there's a level of lacking of organisation. When, when they said, you know, so what are you doing to prepare? Oh, you know, not much really. We haven't organised much. We're just, you know, we're trying to keep it like a normal day. And I could tell the hesitation in his voice. And I know that Bellamy would be like, you'd have everything organised. So anyway, anyway, interesting. So he kicks a few covers at Bellamy, eh? I mean, some of those shells, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, passionate. So is Hasler. Anyway, guys so and girls. we a few more before Christmas? When we yes. Do we six sessions? We, six might, we might do a, a Facebook one, Tommy, soon. Yes, yes. People do love uh, the Facebook and we will, uh, let's aim to do one every week up until Christmas. <laughs> I actually, we've said this before so many times. Our listeners are sending messages to me. We're going to do. We're going to do what Donald. By the time we speak to you next week, we're going to understand who the new premier is in uh, in in, in, in Queensland. Queensland. Oh, sorry, premier. And, Queensland. And then, yeah. and then we've got the we got the president. Um, um, and I've got I've got to say to you that. I fell asleep watching Donald Trump last night. There's a few there's a few learnings. I spoke about it today, and one of it is is like we know October, November, December, it's an important time in real estate. That's when you're campaigning. Um, and he appears to be pushing really, really hard now because he knows this is deciding period. He seems to be uh, run off his feet. I don't know. Do you guys I, I, you, you did ask me that during the week, John, and Troy, do you think the election in the USA will affect the real estate market in Australia or the economy in Australia. I think it's going to. I don't know which way, but I, there's logic would say that one of the two will eventually be more popular with Wall Street, yeah, share market, and Australia's share market generally follows the direction and the trajectory of the US. So if one of the and my, my personal opinion, I'm not an economist, I think in the short term Trump, uh, Trump win would be seen as positive because he's sort of, he's viewed as a business guy, he's viewed as he's done well with the economy last few years, but I actually think beyond the next 12 months, Biden will be a better outcome for the economy because I think he's more stable, I think he will surround himself with a better set of brains, and I do think that's for the long term. So Trump will be a sugar hit if he gets in, which is looking not likely. But I think Biden will actually, over the next three, four, five years, or three or four years, if he stays in one term, will be the best. What do you think, Troy? Yeah, I agree with that. I also think the media has a big play um, and the way they position it. I fake, know. fake media? Well, yeah, as Donald Trump would say, fake news. But I do think people do turn to the media in times of crisis or times of doubt. And regardless of the result there will be a, a crisis for one particular part of the population and they will, will go to the media and they'll make decisions based on what they're hearing and reading so I think you can see what happens if, if, if Trump does as the 
the experts are saying if he does get pushed out, how he responds. Yeah. Because you know he, he's been suggesting that he's not going to be he's not going to be a good lever. All right, again, we'll talk to you next week and we'll give you those results as well. You probably know them anyway, guys and girls. <laughs> signing off. See you next yeah. week. Bye, everyone.